As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined by my dad, Professor John Wyatt. Hi, John. Hi. And uh, we're picking up our conversation from last week uh, about artificial intelligence and chatbots in particular, uh, and how do we know if if these chatbots are coming alive? Um, we we discussed uh, the briefly the story of Blake Lemoyne, who's a very interesting Google engineer. We actually didn't cover the fact that actually before he got into tech, he has a kind of mystical Christian background and is in somehow has been ordained some kind of priest in in the denomination i'm not sure of so he has a he has a kind of interesting spiritual background as well as a tech background and, and he was working with a, a google chatbot called lambda um testing it and came to the conclusion that this chatbot was actually now sentient and conscious uh and was a was a person uh, and when his google bosses dismissed this ended up going public with with his findings and and um yeah there's a lengthy washington post article we'd all recommend you read about this we'll put a link in the description uh and we went on to talk about why speech is such a fundamentally in, in kind of important and deceptive part a part of this and how it's it's when the computer speaks back to us we start to to lose grip on 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 what's alive and what's artificial uh, and how that ties in with the significance of god as a speaking god and humans made in his image as speaking the, the soul part of creation that also speaks but i wanted to move on the conversation a little bit more onto a different kind of theological ground or, or similar but related which is the idea of of a uh, kind of relationality uh how do we know um how do we understand ourselves as human beings is that we are in relation to others yeah and i found actually very interesting and helpful that uh, the the work of a philosopher comes from a jewish background martin buber who wrote a very influential short book called I Thou or I You and he drew a distinction between I You relations and I It relations and 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 really explores it in a very deep and and profound way um, and, and makes the point that actually as human beings we start with I You relationships the very first relationship that the human baby has is an IU relationship, a relationship with another person. And, and you start to see that, you know, this, the social smile starts, you know, by about six weeks of age when a baby just looks into your eyes, uh, recognizes another face, and then smiles. 
and uh, so that the first kind of relationship we have is with another person but then gradually as the child develops the child learns to make distinctions between relationships with a person a human being and relationships with an it and of course often the child you know uh, treats the doll as an as a you and speaks to the doll and so on and yet deep down the child understands the difference between a doll and a real human person mm. i remember actually seeing this with my own daughter when um you know she would there was a point where she started talking to her toys and her dolls in a consciously different voice to the voice that she actually talks to us and to other human beings and you suddenly realize that actually she even though she's only two she still has a sense that that when she says hello to her you know her her sheep or her dog or whatever fluffy animal it's not going to talk back and sometimes she will even mimic its voice and have a conversation between them but she's providing all the language obviously and she doesn't she doesn't do that kind of high-pitched artificial slightly childlike hello when she talks with 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 you or i yeah so it's interesting isn't it that she's already got this distinction between what is a human person and one of the fascinating things about children isn't it is seeing how they respond because normally they react with adults but then when you see a young toddler so coming across another toddler mm. you can see them sort of eyeing one another <laughs> with a certain wariness and this, but it's also with an interest of working out that actually this is a person too but it's a little person mm. yeah something like me not like mummy or daddy but also not like uh, Barnaby the sheep it's not a toy absolutely yeah. so so there is it's it's very deeply rooted in our humanity and and then Buber and, and, and some other Christian theologians, so so uh, Karl Barth, the great German theologian, was heavily influenced by this way of thinking, and he then draws it out as being a reflection of our... In fact, Barth argues that this is one of the most fundamental aspects in which we are made in the image of God, uh, that we that God is fundamentally the triune God, is an I has IU relations. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Father loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father, and so on. And that when we're made in God's image, we're drawn into these uh, relations with another person. So John Donne was right, truly no man is an island, because fundamentally to be man, to be human, you must be in relationship. Absolutely. It's part of our humanity, and it's part of the the wonder of being um of being created human you know so so that what the theologians say is that if you as you try to understand the mystery of the triune the three persons in one godhead there is both union between the three persons they are one god utterly united but there's also communion and communion is about difference it's about the father is not the same person as the son but the son cannot be son without the father and the mm. father cannot be father without the son so the persons of the triune uh, godhead are in some sense constituted by their relations and how does this tie into what we've been talking about about effectively kind of simulated relationships uh with with artificial or kind of non-human chatbots ai software is it possible that we could have a relationship with a machine which was 
akin to the relationship we have with other humans or indeed the relationship we have with God. Well, and I think this is the the deep mystery and and also very much uh, a controversial and contested kind of question, which, I mean, it's just an example of the way that advances in technology are raising questions which, which Christians have never had to think about for 2,000 years. I mean, this just wasn't an issue uh, for the church fathers, you know, and it, it wasn't an issue in the Reformation, uh, and so on and so on. It's only now that this question of of the the personhood of a machine and and is it possible that a machine might take on the role of a person in in some sort of way and, and then, i think sorry um, to cut off but in some way the personhood seems like a very important but a separate question because you could say I totally accept and understand and believe that this AI is not a person. It's just a clever piece of code. There's no, there's no mind behind it. And yet it's so good at mimicking human beings that I can have a de facto relationship with it because it's, you know, as Blake Lemoyne effectively did, you know, he said, I don't care that its brain is made of code rather than meat. It's so, it's so akin to effectively, as he said, a kind of seven or eight year old child that I can engage with it as though it is one. And the fact that actually it's not a person is immaterial. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, this is what the big commercial companies want. They, they want to develop this illusion that you're talking to a person because it is actually it helps their commercial interests the the more i engage with alexa or with google home or with siri as though they were a person the more to be honest i'm capable of being manipulated i'm it's, my guard is gone i'm mm. chatting away hap, you know i i'm imagining uh, somewhere in my head that i'm talking to another friend and would that is that bad for us though? I mean, if we are relational, as we talked about, kind of deeply relational beings in our very nature, why would it be bad for us to to have these kind of ersatz relationships with with non human machines? Well, I think that's the question, and and certainly, I don't think there's a simplistic answer to this. I don't think you can just conclude this is all good or this is all bad. Um, I think we need a, a more sophisticated and nuanced understanding of, what, of what's going on here I mean clearly there's already evidence that it, that um, these kind of simulated chatbots you know the, the chatbots that, that talk that generate language can have some therapeutic benefit um, there's a program called Wobot um, W-O-E bot which um, is intended for uh, helping people with mental health difficulties and particularly depression. And there's quite a lot of evidence accumulating that using these kind of mental health apps on a smartphone so that you can talk to it and it can talk to you and, and it learns about you, quotes, and it, and it, in quotes, it rem, and, and it reminds you. And it's always there. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel anxious or depressed, you know, Wobot will be there for you and will talk to you and will comfort you. And there is evidence that for people with, uh, certainly for some people with mental health issues, this this is actually beneficial and, and may either replace, completely replace a human therapist or at least supplement what a human therapist is doing. Mm. 
and and I feel quite conflicted about this one because there's a part of me which says, well, we we can't fob off, you know, vulnerable, hurting, needy people who need professional counselling with with some lines of code. But at the same time, we all know that like the 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 need for counselling vastly outstrips the supply, particularly in the NHS, particularly kind of publicly funded, uh, affordable counselling. And if 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 it helps someone, maybe as an interim measure to to talk through and and you know it doesn't take rocket science to program a chatbot to say and how does that make you feel and what do you, and do you think that might have something to do with your childhood tell, <laughs> tell me about tell me about your mother like if that <laughs> helps people then you know what what why not let's lean into it yeah that's a very cynical reductionist view of counseling if i can say so <laughs> but um I, oh, it's much more sophisticated than that. Of course, of um, course. And and it's and these things are programmed by clinical psychologists. And um, and but yes, I th- I think, and of course, there's an international perspective as well because um, you know if we have all these difficulties in getting human beings to provide uh, mental health services in a rich country like the UK, just think across the world about many mm. low resource countries, and yeah. yet if we could disseminate. Uh, across the world, these smartphone chatbots and apps, you know, we could provide some help. Um, and okay, maybe it's not as good as a human counselor, but it, but it's quotes good enough. It's it's better than nothing. Mm. And I I suspect that, that 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 there will be more and more of those kind of applications that that will come. Another area where, which is already there's growing evidence that it's really beneficial is for children with autistic spectrum disorder or with some other kind of developmental problems whereby I remember some somebody said to me that, um, you know, their son who had autism w- w- was just going round and round a repetitive loop and and it was just so wearing for her as a carer to be constantly responding, and and, and now the son has a a tablet with a, a, a an app which has been specially designed for autistic children, and and suddenly the situation has got so much better because the child is able to constantly interact with the app, and the app never gets tired and never gets bored, but then slowly hmm. slowly can help the child to develop more positive ways of responding. Mm. Um, so, so there's no doubt that these kind of sophisticated speech generating programs do have a real therapeutic potential. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. I, th- I think where it comes really problematic is is what about just loneliness? You know, is this something for good for people of any age who are isolated and lonely? Mm. Because there it feels again like you really are fobbing someone off. You know, if you're a a person who who doesn't get out of the house much, maybe because of a health difficulty, doesn't have friends, family, no family to come and visit their deep deep nude need 
you know, their God-given need, we would say as Christians, is for other human beings to, to come into their life, to invest in them, to say that I care about you, you matter to me, I want to find out more about you, I want to share my life with you and, and listen to you share your life with me. Their deep need is for human beings and to give them some kind of, you know, care bot or some kind of, you know, they can log in on their tablet and have some artificial thing, pretend that it cares about them and pretend that it wants to hear how their day has gone. Yeah, to me, feels deeply dissatisfying. Yeah, and, and me too. And, and yet there are people out there arguing, you know, what's wrong with it? Let's, For example, let's take somebody who has either some kind of learning difficulties or with dementia. So they don't really know whether this machine they're talking to really is a person or or not. If when they talk to this person you know this machine that they think is a person if it makes them feel better and as a result they're less anxious and 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 more settled and more happy with life does it really matter if it's all just clever programming and code um and and it's interesting because people will divide on that some people will say no it doesn't matter you know that's what friends are for friends are to make you feel better and if this person feels better and it's only code then then so does it matter but there are other people and i think i would line up among them who say yes it does matter there is something about deceiving there's something in, innately deceptive about tricking somebody into thinking there's a person there when there isn't which which just doesn't fit with me um but but I I can see that it's it's going to be quite hard to make those arguments. Certainly, in in a world as we talked about in previous episodes of increasing numbers of elderly people and and maybe you know we're going to find it even harder, even as a as a wealthy nation, to afford the kind of social care that 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 our large kind of grain population needs. I mean, the other angle to this as well that strikes me is there's there's also a quality of relationship or or a. I can't quite find the word, but the type of relationship which an AI chatbot or even a kind of companion robot offers is fundamentally different. Even if it is well received, it's it's kind of a slave approach, which is just, I'll just give you what you want. I'll just offer this listening ear. I never complain. I never push back. I never challenge. I never ask probing questions. I'm just here to kind of echo and provide this kind of fuzzy, warm soundboard, whereas actually a real human care offers all of that relationship and that love in a true authentic sense but it also might say actually um i don't exist merely to meet your needs i'm a rounded complex human being i'm an end in myself not just a means to an end and so actually if we surround people whether they're children or elderly people with with robots and ai they actually might grow up or come to have a a, a shallow instrumentalized understanding of relationships seen as about meeting my internal emotional needs rather than seeing those two parties in this yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I think it's particularly true with children growing up with these programs. I mean, it's a really interesting just to reflect on it. You know, if if from your very earliest years, you've been speaking to Alexa or Google Home or, or Siri or whatever, and, and, and you spend time talking to them and they talk back to you and they tell you jokes and you, and you ask them to switch the lights on and they help you to go to sleep and, and so on, what what are you learning about human beings? Because 
if you think about it, this, this the person who is Alexa is a nice lady who's a slave. She's she's utterly there for you. She never gets cross. She never gets bored. She's always whatever you want. It's it's absolutely fine. She's there for you. Um, and is it a good thing to raise children with to feel that there are slave people out there who are always there for them? Um, should we teach um, Google to be polite? Should we should we teach children to be polite to their person? You know, do you say please? Do you say thank you when Google? You know, when Alexa switched the lights on, or do you say, oh Alexa, do this, do that, do that? You know, here for me. Uh, is it good for children to be grow up with this enslaved woman who will always do whatever they want? And striking, it's always a woman, almost always a woman as well. Yes, exactly. What what kind of hidden messages are we are mm. we enslaving? So so I think uh, there's a, a lady called Sherry Turkle who we've mentioned before, who is um, and has a background as a psychotherapist, but then who worked in MIT and in, in the computer labs, the robot labs, and and she has written extensively about this and one of the phrases i remember is she says the question is not whether our children will grow up learning to love robots the question is what will love mean hmm. yeah and i suppose it's we we underestimate at our peril the kind of formative nature of those early experiences and it's 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 all very well you know adding a module to your personal health civics lessons in secondary school when you're 16 about about this stuff but if you've spent if the person if the child arrives at that point having spent a decade or more as you say kind of ordering their slate their woman slave disembodied woman slave around to to do them stuff uh, how do they have they or is it already too late have they already learned or as you say what love means what relationships look like how people are supposed to to meet each other's needs yeah, and it's also interesting that I mean Alexa is has is programmed by human beings, and apparently there are I think tens of thousands of programmers uh, working either within Amazon or else employed by Amazon as external contractors, and their entire job is to create chat that Alexa will produce, so that if if you say something flirtatious to Alexa and say Alexa, you know I've never been able to see, you. do you have nice legs? Alexa will say something back to you, which is has been carefully modulated. Um, and, and who was it who typed in laboriously the words that mm. Alexa would say? And the answer is it's a young male, uh, a sort of nerdy technology type, who So what Alexa really is, is a kind of um, technologist, young male technologist fantasy of what the ideal woman is like the sort of thing she says is what an ideal girlfriend would say and it, so so really when i'm talking to alexa i'm really talking to this rather strange nerdy type you know it's again, the kind of amalgam of a thousand <laughs> silicon valley um sweaty palmed pale faced <laughs> coders which puts a whole different spin on getting your 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 daughter to chat away to alexa absolutely. in the living room doesn't it no, absolutely it does and is that the ideal kind of relationship you know you you want to teach your children about relationships <laughs> with this with this silicon valley guy so so there are some very deep 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 questions here and and i think you know if we ask 
So, well, well, what's the answer? I, I think part of the problem, you know, is there is this continuous narrative is there simply are not enough human beings around. You know, we've got more and more elderly people. We've got more and more children with special needs. There just aren't enough human beings uh, to play the role of carers. And therefore, we have to have all this clever machinery that will replace the human beings. And it's worth just pushing back on that narrative, isn't it? And saying, well, well, hang on a minute. Why are there not enough carers? Why are there not enough human beings? Is it because there aren't enough human beings on the planet to be no. carers? <laughs> and, the answer I mean, is no. We, and there's more and more of us every year. <laughs> absolutely. So the, um, so the, so the, the reason there are not enough carers is because the terms and conditions under which carers operate, they're underpaid, they are have no social status, they're disregarded as a being of no significance in our society by and large, compared to important people like mm. professionals and computer scientists. Uh, you know, you don't say, well, we just haven't got enough computer scientists. We're never going to have enough computer scientists. Well, some, funnily enough, it seems that there's no shortage of computer scientists. So, Endless pipeline. <laughs> so perhaps it would be possible to change society to say, actually, who are the most important people around here? Who need the best pay? Who need the mm. best conditions? Who need to be attracted to see this as a wonderful career? Mm. Answer carers. None of this is inevitable. This is all a product of our choices and it's all a product exactly. of what we value. And at the moment, our society says we would much more value having, you know, a microsecond faster and a more uh, effective Google search function because that's what we're effectively pouring billions of dollars into research each year than we would value having our elders looked after by higher status, better paid, better paid people. And actually behind all this is capitalism. Um, I mean, the reason we have such sophisticated technology is because it makes money for intensely wealthy venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. Hmm. Um, that's what's driving it all. And they get no money out of carers. So there's, there's deep forces, aren't there, behind all mm. this? It's not just the technology. No. And I think there are some other less kind of sweeping or, or, or blue sky approaches that might help here, kind of regulatory policy approaches. I mean, one thing that's often talked about is sometimes a, a Turing red flag law. So that's a, a reference to the Turing test. Um, Alan Turing, a pioneering British computer scientist who who kind of proposed way back in the 50s, I think, that, that one way of testing if if a computer program had kind of reached sentience was that if if it was impossible to determine when you were talking to it whether it was a human being or a or a computer, uh, which you know many people argue we've already reached that point already, and and but the Turing red flag law would basically artificially uh, render that moot by saying that every um, kind of artificial intelligence, every sent, every any chatbot has to continually keep uh, preemptively affirming that I'm not alive and I am a computer, uh, I'm I'm not real. Yeah, I I think there's definitely mileage in that. I, I think, uh, you know, by law, every every time someone suggests making an investment or, uh, you know, by law, they they have to say in the UK and in many countries, um, you know, a whole spiel about, you know, we warn you that you may lose your money, that, you know, you shouldn't enter into this unless you're an adult and you have resources to be able to pay a kind of set warning that has to be set. And it would be possible to imagine that every time you talked to something that which was designed to sound like a human being, 
it by law it was required to say something like I need to tell you just to remind you that I'm not a person that I this is purely a, a sophisticated uh, program mm. I, I think the computer scientists by and large the companies would would hate that because it breaks the illusion yes I mean, there was an interesting example of this. I don't know if you saw it a few years ago. Google, again, who else, announced a, a thing called Duplex, which was, um, I think it was only available in the States, but if you had a Google Pixel phone, it was a service whereby their AI could basically make calls on your behalf. And so it would call from your phone number um, to a, a real business, maybe a hairdresser's or a restaurant, and would try and book a, an appointment. So you would ask Google, can you book me a hairdresser's appointment next week, Thursday at 10 o'clock? And then the AI would take over and it would ring up on the normal phone lines and uh, a hairdresser and say, hello, um, I'd like to book an appointment, please, at 10 o'clock next Thursday. And the person would say, OK, um, you know, what do you want? He said, just a, just a wash and dry, please, or whatever. And the Google did a demo of how this worked. And it was, it was uncanny because they'd cleverly programmed the voice of the uh, of the program to to also have ums and ahs and hesitations so it wasn't flawless and it so which obviously makes it sound even more human uh and they were very google were very proud of this and they said this is a great thing and and yet the response was was quite negative and people said hold on hold on that poor hairdresser had an entire minute long conversation with what they thought was a human being and it was actually google duplex that's really dystopian and 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 after the backlash google basically agreed voluntarily at this point to say okay well we'll program it so that every time it, it starts a call it says hello just to let you know this is google's uh, ai program calling on behalf of someone else and so there was no there was no kind of deception involved yeah and i i think that um these uh, you know the regulation is 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 way behind the the speed of the technological advances and and this is a continuing problem and again unfortunately there's a kind of inequality of arms you know the because these companies are hoovering up the very best scientists the very best technologists the very best equipment the people who are in the re regulatory authorities just cannot um compete at the same level that, mm -hmm. there's a real danger of that and so i i think um then, but there is there is definitely a change, a sea change in the environment, uh, both in Europe and in the USA, to say we've got to insist on greater regulation. We've got to insist on um, on limiting the power mm -hmm. of these commercial companies, and in particular where it can have malign effects, uh, un unanticipated effects on, on human beings. We want to control it. Um, so I, I, I think I'm not entirely gloomy. I, I, I think there could well be significant approaches in, in, in regulation so that we maximize the good effects of all this, whilst at the same time preserving um, the uniqueness of what an IU relationship is actually meant to be, what a human-to-human what a -human embodied face-to-face uh, -face relationship uh, in which the love of God, the nature of the triune Godhead is being revealed. We, we must protect that. Hmm. Yeah, I agree, I agree. And I think it's positive that these conversations are now starting to happen. I think partly as a result we of, of the kind of the kind of social media scandals of the last five or six years, people have lost 
that kind of starry-eyed optimism about the big tech behemoths that they always have our best interests at heart and we now are much more sceptical and cynical about your Facebooks and your Googles and your Apples. And I hope that is setting us up better for a future where we now to we need to offer that level of scrutiny to their work in, in AI and, and, um, and chatbots in particular because, um, yeah, I don't think people are as, as willing to have the wool pulled over their eyes. Yeah. Uh, if people are interested in taking some of this further, there is material. I, I wrote a, a Cambridge paper called Artificial Intelligence and Simulated Relationships, and you can find that on, on the website. And uh, we'll put up some more links to some of the things we've been talking about. I, I definitely see this as a sort of ongoing conversation. I'd be very interested if there's any further feedback or people like to point to other resources they're aware of in this kind of area as as, as we continue to see this technology just just improving year on year. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us, um, you can email molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Uh, do head to John's website, johnwyatt.com, which has got um, yeah that Cambridge paper and, and lots of other uh, stuff that he, that John's been speaking and writing about this for several years now. Um, if you'd like to go further, um, but thanks very much for listening, uh, and uh, we'll speak to you again next week. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.